What's going on, guys, and welcome to today's podcast. This is going to be the Sunday um, Sunday recap podcast. So we're going to basically go through every game and just kind of highlight certain key areas, I guess, in, in each one. So we'll start off with one that, um, since I've been doing this little quote-unquote lock of the week series, this is the first lock I've gotten wrong and it's the Denver Broncos went into New England and beat the Patriots pretty just thoroughly from in every phase of the game from start to finish I mean it just looked bad for the whole day from New England so I mean I've seen a lot of people like I think it was Rex Ryan on ESPN you know saying that um, basically that he's really concerned about the Patriots and stuff like that I'm not gonna go that far it was just a bad loss like in the way that the Patriots play if you have another team with a really good defense that comes to play and makes some big plays offensively, it can look like that, you know, especially when you factor in, which is something I should have factored in. And I'm not happy that I didn't factor in because when I call something a lock, I take that very seriously. And it was just the fact that the Patriots hadn't been practicing and, um, you know, and the fact that Cam Newton was in the COVID um, protocol or whatever you call that to where he missed significant time practicing on on a brand new team, brand new system. So all that stuff kind of makes it make sense as to why they got beat the way they did. But um, we have to give credit to Vic Fangio and just the way he had those Broncos playing on the defensive side of the ball. Like he's got, he's, I mean, he's lost Von Miller. I think Jarrell Casey's also gone. And this guy just, just somehow, some way is fielding one of the better defenses, probably at least top, 12 to 13 defenses in the NFL right now and he's doing it basically with his scheme and with his ability to just keep guys motivated because things looked really bad for this team just a couple weeks ago they got the win against the Jets and then kind of like I guess some things peaked up a little better for them and and now they go into New England and beat the Patriots so regardless of any situation that's a big win for that team and uh we should we should kind of we should respect that. Also, Drew Locke, I know, made through those two bad picks at the end of the game. But other than that, as weird as that might sound, he actually played well. Like he just constantly was doing positive things and in chunk plays for one. Um, and then the other part was just kind of the third down conversions on. I mean, third and long conversions. He was hitting some big plays on, which I believe Bill Belichick should have challenged. I haven't heard anyone talk about this, but when I was watching in, uh, that game live, um, I believe it was like third and 17 or maybe even more, and Locke completes a deep ball down the right sideline to Tim Patrick, and I, just watching it live and seeing the replay at least twice, I was like pretty convinced that that was not a completed catch. Uh, I think he only got one foot down, but... Belichick just never even challenged it and the announcers didn't say anything about it. So maybe maybe there was something I was missing. But to me, it looked like a huge missed opportunity because I was fairly convinced that that was an incomplete pass. It was like, I don't know, maybe third quarter when that happened. But um, anyways, that's a good win for the Broncos. Drew Locke played better than the stat line indicates. And I'm not just saying that because he was my QB one in that draft. I think he actually um, played well. I think he just made a couple of boneheaded decisions late and it almost cost them the game but it didn't and as far as cam newton goes he had a bad game it's just pretty as much as simple as that you know he's coming off you can understand why right coming off the covid list 
um, you know, didn't practice, new team, new scheme, still early in the season. You can understand why, right? But he did not play well. So there's no really getting around that. All right, let's move on to this Miami Dolphins and uh, Jets game. So the Dolphins right now, this is kind of the first thing that popped in my head after I saw the way they won that game was, hey, they can be trusted right now. And, and that's an important thing to remember because we saw, especially we see with these young teams and, and new regimes, a lot of times we see them win a game, teams like this, we see win a game that they're not really supposed to win, right? And then or even they won. So they dominated the Jaguars. Then they went into San Francisco. They won a game they weren't supposed to win, and they dominated the 49ers. And then it's like, okay, classic letdown game, right? And the reason why I put them in one of my locks of, of the week is because I really felt like Brian Flores was not going to allow a letdown game from them. And that turned out to be true. And when you can do that, when you can win games that you're supposed to win, especially after a game, after winning a game that you weren't really supposed to win, that to me speaks volumes about what you're building there from a from a cultural standpoint, you know, and just a consistency standpoint. It's it's one thing to like lose to lose a bad game, right? that you're supposed to lose even, and then to come back the next week and then beat the team that you're supposed to beat. And then just to kind of have that seesaw, but they went, they didn't, they did the opposite and they didn't allow themselves to, to get complacent and to take their foot off the gas and allow the jets to get their first win. They went in there and shut them out. And now that's a, to shut out any NFL team is impressive, especially it's not like, you know, the quarterback they were playing against is just some awful player. It was Joe Flacco. So it's, I mean, he's not an elite player, but He's a competent player, and to just completely blank him, that um, that tells me that Miami can at least be trusted, and, I, and I'm really excited for Dolphins fans. All right, the Baltimore and Philadelphia Eagles game was very interesting. So the Baltimore defense, for the most of the game, was dominant. I mean, six sacks, they were constantly pressuring Wentz, um, but Philly didn't quit. They missed a field goal, and they missed, I believe, two uh, two-point two conversions, they were down 17 to zero and they were even down 24 to six at the start of the fourth quarter. So for them to, to basically score the game tying touchdown with a minute 55 to go only to miss the game tying two point conversion, um, that, that sucks, right? Because that was an, one hell of an effort by the Eagles and in a team that I thought could potentially upset the Ravens. I definitely did not see nearly 60 points combined, but, between these two teams. I did not see that coming because they're two very good defenses, but it was just one of those games where, you know, just weird things were happening, like the long pass interference penalties and um, just, I don't know, lots of missed opportunities for the Eagles and Lamar and, and the offense for the Ravens just did kind of just enough, even though they did find their way to 30 points. So that's, that's good. But um, overall, I think it speaks volumes. The reason why I picked the Eagles as a potential upset, I didn't think they were going to beat the Ravens, but I thought that it was possible, right? Of the upset, you know, possibilities, I thought this one was, was more likely than people were, were considering it. So I threw them in there as a potential upset team and they obviously were close, right? They only lost by two points. But the reason I did that is because they're a veteran team with, a legit quarterback, and I know he's struggling with confidence right now. And I think he is similar to Baker Mayfield in that, uh, yeah, the situation around him isn't very good, whereas for Baker, it's a great situation. But for Wentz, 
I think his main problem is just confidence. Like I think that there are plays to be had there that he's just not making at times. And I think there are also times where he's creating something where there's nothing. But I just think overall, he's not the most confident player right now. And I think that's mainly what's hurting him. But through and through, the reason I picked them to potentially upset the, upset the Ravens is because they have a veteran team with a legit franchise quarterback and uh, and a good coach. So like I just felt like, and a very, very, very good defense that nobody's really talking about because they haven't been winning games. So I don't know. Those are the that's kind of the the reason or the rationale for why I thought they might be able to beat Baltimore, who also had a very uh, very much struggling offensive team. So um, not necessarily very much struggling. I shouldn't say that, but a uh, a team that wasn't necessarily lighting it up right offensively. So I thought I thought it was a maybe it might have just been the perfect storm for a Philly win, especially considering how desperate they were. But Lamar Jackson had over 100 rushing yards, um, made some big plays, including the long rushing touchdown on that little read option play. And uh, like and hey, Fogum, Travis Fogum had another big day. So I of all the people that asked me if they should start Fogum, I said yes to every single person except for one guy. And I think honestly, maybe the reason I said no is because I had been saying yes to like everyone. So <laughs> maybe maybe that was why. And of course, that guy decided to DM me about how I basically screwed him and uh, how I, I guess I told him to start Golden Tate over Travis Fogum and Tate got him like one point and he would have won if he started Fogum. Anyways, that sucks. I'm sorry. But um, for whatever reason, I did. I don't know why I told that guy that. But for everybody else, you guys are all happy that I told you to start Fogum because he had another big game. And uh, all right. So moving on to my team, the Panthers and the Bears. So the Shout out to the Bears who improved to five and one after six games is something that I don't think anybody saw coming, especially when you consider they literally benched their quarterback this season. So, um, hey, that's that's a that defense is consistently making plays when when they're called upon. Like and Teddy Bridgewater entering this game was the third fewest pressured quarterback at just 14.4 percent of his dropbacks. Um, and he was sacked just two times over the previous three games. So Chicago sacked him four times and they were just constantly pressuring him. I don't have the exact numbers on that, but it was clear when you watch that game that they were just constantly pressuring him. And the Bears defense made 10 plays behind the line of scrimmage. So six tackles for loss and four sacks. Um, they just uh, they were able to do enough on the defensive side of the ball to win. And Foles is a one of those guys that just he's a good situational player, right? Like for them to take that early, I believe it was, I think they took the lead seven zero early and it was off the turnover. And it was just like, that's the kind of plays that you need to convert right there. Right? Like it's not going to show up as a 300 yard pass game, but converting a red zone up an instant red zone opportunity into a touchdown is a very big deal. And those are the kinds of things Foles does. So um, the Carolina's run defense from a positive note played very well. David Montgomery had 19 carries for 58 yards. It's a little over, or it's 3.1 yards per carry. So that is a, a very positive for Carolina. And look, they're a young, a young team that is still kind of finding their way. Then they were right there in with a chance to win this game at the end. So overall, I think the Panthers fans like me should be, pretty optimistic still. I don't think you should be rattled at all. I just think Bears fans should be very much excited because you guys are finding ways to win games. And that's uh, 
that's not easy to do in this league, especially to be to the tune of being five and one. So kudos to the Bears. Um, the Bengals, I feel for you guys, get off to a 21 nothing lead in Indy. And Joe Burrow made a beautiful deep ball pass to T. Higgins on, on I think it was a third and nine situation. Um, but then Cincinnati allowed 21 points in the final 12 minutes of the second quarter. So that was the issue for the for the uh, Bengals. And they also didn't really score. They only had six points from uh, from the time they went up 21-0. So that's that's not going to get it done, right? Um, Philip Rivers played his best game of the season, but he did throw an awful interception with 12 minutes to go. And I believe they were up 28 to 27 at that point. And that interception led to a field goal opportunity by the Bengals that they missed. So like, I want to give Rivers the kudos and, and, you know, Hey, great game. You came back from, from down 21, zero, you had like almost 400 yards passing, yada, yada, yada. But that interception was just so bad. I have to bring it up like you're up. And this is exactly the Philip Rivers and the reason why people don't always necessarily love him as a, as a, you know, kind of a Hall of Fame type of player like situational football. You're winning. You came all the way back. You're up 28 to 27. Why are you forcing a pass to into double coverage, essentially, and, and throwing an interception that basically uh, that's like the only thing that, that that can happen for them to put them back in position to win the game. And he did that. So that's that's discouraging. And I just that's the kind of reason why I don't think this team is a necessarily a Super Bowl contender, even with a great defense, because they don't commit to the run enough. And and I know yesterday they were down 21-0, so it's a little different, but um, they they scare me. They, they definitely scare me because that that interception just should not happen, especially like Philip Rivers is at a stage in his career where he is supposed to be a veteran quarterback with a very steady hand, like an, you know, just understanding of situational football. And uh, that play is one that just could not be made at a worse time. So good thing for Philip and the Colts fans that they missed that field goal. And if you're a Bengals fan, you have to. You have to be at least somewhat impressed with the fact that Burrow played well early against a very, very, very good defense um, on the road. And uh, that Joe Mixon was actually able to have some runs where where the offensive line won and he just kind of got forward and didn't mess around. So that was encouraging as well. Um, T. Higgins is exceeding everyone's expectations, and that's kind of going completely under the radar because they're losing. Again, similar to what I said earlier. Um, but overall... I think Bengals fans should be excited about Burrow. He looked much better. That might have been his best game, um, although he had moments with pretty bad. He had he had a couple of bad moments as well. But through and through, in the situation he's in on the road against a very good defense, that was one of Burrow's better games. So kudos to him and uh, kudos to Philip Rivers and the Colts for coming back and winning that game. All right, now the Pittsburgh Steelers dominated a what I believe is a very good Cleveland Browns team. And I know some people won't, won't give them that credit, but I think that they have an elite running game um, with or without Chubb. I think Kareem Hunt is uh, obviously he he's led the league in rushing before. So he's clearly a good, a good running back as well. And I just think their coach is a very good coach and, and the scheme is good. Everything's good over there. Their defense is solid. Um, and Pittsburgh just completely took them apart. Um, Baker Mayfield is a guy that I thought he was getting his confidence back. He's a guy, he's a very emotional player. And what that means for him is 
when things are going well and he's got those emotions flowing and he's all excited, running around, you know, kind of like slapping guys on the ass, like he's got that swagger and he's oozing that confidence and that kind of, it really trickles down to the rest of his game. So does Baker Mayfield have the ability to play, you know, to be a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL? Yes, he does. He does. But the problem is his confidence. I don't think because he's kind of a sort of like a front runner player to where he needs he needs things to be going well. And he just faced so much adversity last year because of the unrealistic amount of expectations that was heaped on to him uh, with the addition of Odell and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, and then the fact that he just flopped and then Odell was pissed and, you know, that whole thing kind of really hurt um, his confidence and he's still trying to recover. I thought at the first half of that Colts game that he was, I was excited for him. I'm like, all right, great. He's got his confidence back. You know, he looks like he's having fun out there. And then second half of the Colts game comes around and, and he is throwing two bad interceptions and he just didn't look very good. And then in this one, right off the bat, that pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick to me, speaks volumes about the lack of confidence Baker has in himself at this point in, in particular, because that was a third down situation very early in the game. And there's no way Baker looked at that slant route over the middle and thought it was open. Like that's not what happened. What he did was he just said, I know they're going to come after my ass and I need to get the ball out. And I'm just going to try and hit this easy slant right over the middle here. And I'm, I'm going to just hope that it's open. And that is not something that confident quarterbacks do. So that's discouraging because those are the that's the kind of type of area in year three where you would want to see your young quarterback improving on and not just going to rely on making a very easy throw. Because if that guy was open, then it would have been an easy pitch and catch first down. But um, he was clearly rattled before they even that was a very, very, I, mean, I think that was even the first series for them. So it's not like, it's not like that came after a day where he was just getting bludgeoned by, by, a, you know, a nasty pass rush, which Pittsburgh does have, but it was just like, literally, I'm just going to throw this and hope that he's open. Cause I'm not good. I don't have the confidence in myself to be able to hit my back foot and go through a couple progressions. Like that's not something that he had the confidence to do. Therefore he just threw it to the steel to Mink Fitzpatrick for a pick six. And that was almost like an early nail in the coffin. Like there's always two or three nails in the coffin for a game, in my opinion. And, and even though it was the first quarter, first series for Cleveland's offense to me, to get, put themselves in a 10, nothing hole that early in that dramatic of fashion was just the absolute last thing they needed to happen. And, um, and it really trickled down into everything else bad for Baker for the rest of the day. Um, James Conner played awesome, had another 100-yard game. And um, Chase Claypool had another solid game. He had 74 of, of Roethlisberger's 162 yards. So that's uh, that's another solid outing for Claypool. Juju Smith-Schuster seems to be kind of the odd man out there, even with Deontay Johnson out. And like I said, Ben only had 162 yards, so it's not like they were slinging it all over the yard there. but um, still a little discouraging for Juju to be not really in the plans necessarily so far. Um, Detroit Lions did something that, quite frankly, they absolutely needed to do, but 
they got off to a fast start. They were up 24 to three in the third quarter and they finished. DeAndre Swift had a great game, uh, 14 carries for 116 yards. That's over eight yards a run and uh, two touchdowns. He also had three catches for seven yards. So 17 touches for, you know, over 120 yards for, for DeAndre Swift is very much a big game. If you can, let's say you have an owner, a Swift owner in your league that, you know, still isn't quite sold on him, I'd purchase him immediately because if he has one more of these, his price is going to skyrocket. Um, Kenny Galladay had some great catches, including a badass third and 12 catch where I think it was their third and 12 situation where he just jumped over the corner and high pointed the hell out of the ball. It was awesome play. But overall, man, this is the kind of game that you had to win if you were Detroit. And they did it. And they did it 38 runs, 31 passes. Um, and they just played a complete game. They came into the game allowing a league worst 170 yards a game on the ground. But they held Jacksonville to just 16 carries for 44 yards. And James Robinson had just 12 for 29. So that was huge. And um, Jacksonville defense continued to get no pressure on, on the quarterback, uh, which was Matt Stafford in this case. And and it was just a complete game of complimentary football for Detroit. So at two and three, this team is not out of the realm of a wild card spot in, in this uh, in the NFC. So that's um, very encouraging if you're a Lions fan. Now, on the Jaguar side of it, arm strength is clearly at least a slight issue for Gardner Minshew. Um there were just some instances in this game where that was clear that like his lack of arm strength is, you know, people have really the last few years have a lot of the analytics guys have caused this. People have just kind of been like, Oh, arm strength is overrated. You don't need a strong arm to succeed. You just need to be accurate. And that can be true. If you're also extremely intelligent to where you always are on time with your throws, but arm strength, when you, when you make a mistake on a play is the ultimate equalizer, right? Like, I mean, if Justin Herbert reads something a tick late, he can make, he can still make a throw that a guy like Gardner Minshew or Joe Burrow just can't make, right? Like the, it, it, it's the ultimate equalizer. So when you have it, you know, it's nice to have, it's it really is. So especially at the NFL level, the guys are so fast, you know? So that's just something I observed from that game um, in regards to the Jags quarterback, Minshew. Um, okay, Falcons-Vikings. So, and I don't think I even got to this game for some reason or another on my preview, uh, which, which, so it kind of like totally threw me off when I saw them playing. I don't know what was up with that, but um, sorry about that one. But yeah, the Falcons, I would have picked the Vikings in this game, just being honest, I, I would have. And the Falcons were able to get off to a hot start and finish and they did so with more passing in the second half so uh, Todd Gurley's still getting 20 runs a game but he's not able to really do a ton with them and um on the Vikings side of it look man um or wait let me go back to that Falcons offense real quick Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley torched the Minnesota Vikings secondary 14 combined catches for those two for 198 yards and three touchdowns that's over 14 yards per catch. Um, so those guys pretty much did whatever they wanted. And that's good. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate for the Vikings fans because that that young secondary is is uh, taking their growing pains right now. And it's it's just unfortunate that they Vikings don't have the pass rush they would um, with uh, Daniel Hunter. But <clears throat> um, 
Kirk Cousins on the Viking side of the offensive off side of the ball. Obviously, it hurts to have Dalvin Cook out, right? But these mistakes by Kirk Cousins are just crushing, right? I mean, and, and it really is the difference in the game. And it has been a few times this year because Kirk Cousins leads the NFL in interceptions with 10. Um, and now I understand that he is under a ton of pressure. He's the third most pressured quarterback entering yesterday's game at almost 30% of his dropbacks. And so, I mean, I get it. That's difficult. And when you compound that with the fact that Dalvin Cook's not there to to help ease that pressure off, you think Madison just had 10 carries for 25 yards or something like that. That's not going to get it done. And um, so it's unfortunate. But at this stage in Kirk Cousins' career, he cannot throw 10 interceptions in the first six games. You know, he just can't. Like in, in what, another three yesterday against the Falcons? That's just not good. That's just not going to cut it. And uh, Vikings fans have every right to be pissed off with their quarterback right now. All right, moving on to the Tampa Bay and Green Bay game. So Tampa's defense absolutely dominated. It was it was weird because it looked like Rodgers was pretty much going to cruise up and down the field by, you know, without really having an issue um, against that really good defense. And all of a sudden, that inter- the pick six happened, and it was just like, we will not allow anything else from you. And they didn't. They didn't allow a single point the rest of the way. So um, it was great. And uh, look, Jamal Williams, don't mess with Tom Brady. I'm sorry to say it like that because I know a lot of Brady haters are going to hate hearing this, but you don't mess with them. Like, it's just not something you should do because all of a sudden you look at the Brady effect, right? And people are going to hate when I say this, but it's true. The Buccaneers came off a week where they were penalized a lot, right? And they made certain mistakes. Well, they didn't make a sing- they didn't have a single penalty against them. Um, they didn't make any mistakes, the entire team. And, and I really believe that it's like I used to say about Michael Jordan when I watched him play, that when a guy late in the game in the fourth quarter, when, when Michael Jordan would pass someone the ball, because he, he wanted the ball in those moments, right? When Michael Jordan would pass someone the ball, they were like the amount of confidence they got because Michael Jordan trusted them to pass them the ball, gave them kind of like enough confidence to to make the shot in that time. Like that's why we see a lot of those guys make their shots when Jordan gave them the opportunity. Whereas LeBron James comes in and he passes the ball and it's maybe technically the right basketball play, but there's just so there's just a difference in the in the leadership aspect of it between him and Michael Jordan. And that's why I'm on the Michael Jordan is the GOAT bandwagon. But it's it's hard to explain, but it's kind of like if you're playing basketball with your big brother or if you're playing whatever sport with your big brother and your big brother's like, hey, and he passes you the ball, that's kind of the confidence that y- you get when, when Tom Brady is like, hey, we are not going to turn the ball over anymore. And like, I don't know exactly how that all went down, but it just seems to be obvious that he is able to get the most from his teammates, even on the defensive side of the ball. Even, you know, in uh, in in whatever situation, whatever the situation might be. So I don't know. That's just kind of the the vibe I get from Brady and why he's always been able to succeed with less at the skill position players. And and another thing about Tom Brady is he's the best situational football player I've ever watched. Like he didn't necessarily light up the stat sheet yesterday, 
But what he did do was every chance he had to kind of really put another dagger into the Packers, he he converted. And he did so in flawless fashion with a perfect throw and, you know, just flawless execution. Like, it's not always glamorous. He's like the opposite of Pat Mahomes where – you know, it's it's not it's not a bunch of like highlight real plays, but it might just be a check down. It might be the fact that he led you perfectly on the check down and you got an extra two yards or whatever it is. But it's the situational, the timing in which he does it. And when when it's third and six, I mean, when it's second and 16, he's going to immediately pick up eight to 12 yards. You know what I mean? And, and just that kind of those types of plays are winning plays. And he does that stuff constantly. So um, that's why he's the GOAT, man. It's it's not. And that's why he's such a controversial GOAT, too, because, well, obviously, Bill Belichick was his coach. And, and that's going to make, you know, a lot of people not really be sold on him just in itself. But he doesn't do anything necessarily wowing you. But what he does is just the right thing constantly. And he doesn't normally make those back-breaking mistakes and I know he's throws some pick six as of late but he doesn't really um okay let me put it like this the game Rodgers had yesterday against Tom Brady in a big NFC game we don't see Tom Brady have those games in those types of games you just don't see that happen because he doesn't do it and he never has in 20 years so um, anyways, the, uh, Buccaneers ran the ball well and the defense, like I said, was dominant. And, um, yeah. So also shout out to Justin Herbert because he destroyed those blitzes. Whereas Aaron Rodgers had a very, very difficult time against them. So, um, so yeah, good game for the Bucks. All right. And now moving on to the giants and red, I'm sorry, giants and Washington football team. So, Daniel Jones came out swinging early. He showed signs of life early on. And, uh, I mean, he had a big run. He had the touchdown pass to Slayton. I think at one point he was like 7 of 8 for 80 yards and a touchdown. So he came out swinging early. He did some good things. And then he kind of drifted off to where, you know, he struggled a little bit, which is fine because they're playing a Washington football team that also has a very good defense. Um, But the Giants defense is also very good. And James Bradbury had a big interception. He is really an elite corner. And the fact that when you just look at his contract with contracts that were also signed in the same offseason, a la Jalen Ramsey and even even Tredavious White, you just look at how consistent James Bradbury is. And yeah, he gave up two touchdowns in in week one, which now looking back on that, that Steelers receiving core is pretty damn good. So it kind of makes sense, even though it was just it was like, like Chase Claypool and whatever. But um, it wasn't like he got burnt. He was right there. <clears throat> but the point is, he is a very consistent player. And to get him, I think it's at like a $15 million average for three years, as opposed to paying Jalen Ramsey. Not only are you giving away a first round pick when the Jalen Ramsey case, but you're also paying him well over $20 million annually. Um, even Tredavious White, who's been elite um, and better than Bradbury for sure. But just the the fact that um, he's paid nearly $20 million a year, I believe as well, because it kind of shows you the, the value that is uh, James Bradbury's deal. So uh, the giants got a very, in my opinion, a great cornerback and he's playing great and he's playing at really 
kind of like a 70%, 80% of the value of some of the other players at his position that honestly, I think he's better than. So that's good. Leonard Williams is also playing well. He's got three sacks, five tackles for loss, and six hits on the quarterback in, five, in um, six games so far. So a sack every other game. And he's just really an impact player. So that's that's good if you're a Giants fan. Um, Kyle Allen on the Washington side of things, he played well. And I know he's a guy everybody loves to hate uh, because he was not a high pick and he didn't completely dominate the league last year. But um, – in his first year as a starter, but he played well. Um, the touchdown throw in the back corner of the end zone was nice, and he just has to find a way to eliminate the mistakes. I mean, he he had a uh, lost fumble that resulted in a touchdown, and then he threw the interception to Bradbury, but he did still complete about 74% of his passes for 280 yards, and he did drive them down the field to, to tie the game, and then, of course, Ron Rivera went for two to win it. Um, but... Look, he got them down there and they and scored. So say what you want about the two-point conversion attempt, but when you look at it, there was no one open. And when he starts rolling out on that play, there was no chance for him to run it in. Like I was I watched that over and over again. At first I thought, oh no, he could have ran that in. No, he couldn't have. There was like they were two giants and uh they were much faster than he was, and they were gonna beat him to that pylon so pretty pretty easily, and, that, and he was gonna take a big shot. So there was no one open and just it's not like when you're a quarterback, if you can't you can't convert with your with your legs, right? And there's no one open. I mean, you just that just means the defense wins that rep, and that's just what happened on that play. It's not like you know if they had a better quarterback, they would have converted. No, it was just the Giants had it covered well, and there was just nothing they could do there. So, um, but overall, I think that the I'm I'd be shocked if Ron Rivera doesn't stick with Kyle Allen moving forward because I think he played well. I think yes. The mistakes are crucial, and that's ultimately probably what cost them. But, um, but he did play well. So, the Tennessee Titans. All right, I'm ready to say it. I've been I've been inching towards this for a few weeks now. But Mike Vrabel is in is becoming an elite coach. Uh, he really is. His situational football, and this is kind of the theme of the day for whatever reason today, is is impressive. Like, did you guys see? the video where he intentionally instructs Jonathan Joseph to stay on the field and take, which which was, this is late in the game. It was a second down and one situation. Um, so the Texans had the ball. Uh, second and one, the Titans need to get the ball back. He instructs Jonathan Joseph to stay on the field. And Joseph's looking at him kind of confused because he's like, we're going to get penalized for this. You know, it's going to be five, 12 men on the field, five-yard penalty, automatic first down. So that happens right? The referee sees it, throws the flag. But what that did was it allowed, it, of course, it gave the Texans the first down. So that's the first thing. But the other part of that was it stopped the clock and it ultimately saved them 40 seconds. Um, so let's say they stopped the Texans on second and one and then Texans converted a third and one. That's an, that's an 80 second loss there. So um, and it worked out well for them, and they got the ball back, went down, tied the game, and then got the ball in overtime, went and won the game. So unbelievable um, effort by the Titans. This was a game that I predicted the Texans would win. I thought it was perfect, a perfect uh, storm for, for an upset here because Deshaun Watson is an elite player, and he's tired of losing. And Deshaun came out and had 76% completion percentage, threw for 335 yards, over nine yards in attempt, four touchdowns, zero picks. So he was, he did fight. Um, and 
it was a short week for the Titans. So that, you know, just kind of riding that emotional high of destroying the Buffalo Bills and then playing the lowly Texans. I thought it was a perfect upset game, but that turned out to not be true because the Titans are a scrappy group. Ryan Tannehill had over 350 yards passing and Derrick Henry had over 200 yards rushing, including another 90 plus yard rushing touchdown. So um, overall, man, I'm, I'm very impressed with Mike Vrabel. I'm very impressed with the t- uh, Titans team. And um, I'm also impressed with the effort from Houston. I, I like that they're, they're out there fighting and uh, especially Deshaun Watson. He had, what was obviously his best game of the season. So um, so that was good. But, yeah, overall, tough loss for Houston. Great win for the undefeated Tennessee Titans, and I cannot wait to watch them play the Steelers this weekend. Um, okay, moving on to, I believe, the last game of the, of the week, which is the San Francisco, ugh, San Francisco 49ers bounced back and beat pretty handily, not, not by the scoreboard necessarily, but just kind of handled the Los Angeles Rams. So, that's cool. The defense was amazing, um, led by Jason Verrett. And this guy, I posted about him last night, but look, man, this guy was an elite corner, one of the best in the NFL five years ago. And it was just like nonstop injuries just completely derailed this man's career. And to see him playing now for, for the 49ers and playing at literally an elite level, um is really cool to see and i'm i'm proud of him i'm i'm happy for him for that for those reasons um on the offensive side of the ball for san francisco kyle shanahan is i was thinking this last night when i'm watching the game he is just the most deceptive play caller in the nfl and i always associate great offensive execution and great offensive play calling with deception and that's why i'm very firmly in my belief that you have to run the ball and pass the ball to succeed, you know, to be consistently successful. And that's what Kyle Shanahan embodies, number one. And number two, like everything he does, it, you're never going to be able to just tee off on his quarterback, right? Because he's not going to have those games where he's just like, all right, Jimmy, we're just going to throw the ball 50 times. Like that's not going to happen. And if it does, it will be a bunch of deception in the, within those throws it will not just be 50 dropbacks you know what i mean it'll be it's the ball is out like um coming into this game the 49ers quarterbacks nick mullins and garoppolo had been pressured at the highest rate of any other quarterback in the nfl i think it was like 38 percent of the time in this game he was like i am not going to allow aaron donald to ruin this game for us and I'm going to do that by literally not allowing him to have even a second or two to come in uh, to come back and hurt my quarterback. So it was an awesome display of offensive execu- uh, play calling and execution by the 49ers. I mean, even though they didn't score a ton of points, that's not the that's not always the end all be all. Um, and their defense was awesome. Um, the Rams just missed some opportunities and basically just had a bad night kind of looked like they were just flat from the start. So, um, so yeah, that, that sucks for the Rams because they had a real opportunity to distance themselves uh, between the 49ers in this division and just kind of basically only have to worry about the Seahawks from here on. But now they are only a game ahead of the Niners. So things are getting very interesting in the NFC West and um, all four teams are, are still alive. So um, anyways, 
that's going to do it for this episode, guys. That's just a Sunday recap. I'm about to record the uh, Monday night football doubleheader preview between the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs and then the Arizona Cardinals and Dallas Cowboys. So that will be um, released later on today. And I appreciate you guys for listening and sharing the podcast and everything you do for me. Um, so I'll see you soon.